You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can, would you please now stand with me and join me for the reading of God's Word. Today, our scripture will come from Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, 10 and 11, and Matthew 8, 14 through 18. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he was suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Peace be with you. This morning, excuse me, I have the privilege of introducing a dear friend, Pastor James Westbrook. Uh, If you've been around Sojourn for a while, James is probably a familiar face to you. He and his family lived here in Louisville for a few years before moving to Oakland, California to plant Realm Church in 2018. Fun fact, James is actually the one who brought Affordable Christmas to Sojourn. That was his kind of brainchild for us, ideas for us. Uh, We have been partnering with them as a church, partnering with Realm. They're a partner church of ours. Over the last three years, we've been supporting them financially and the tremendous work that they are doing there. And so if you want to get to meet James or hear more about what's happening at Realm in Oakland, and if you know anything about Oakland, it's a beautiful, wonderful, challenging, hard place to plant a church, but God has been very, very faithful to him and through them. But they will be available in the atrium after the service to do a little meet and greet. James and Desiree have been married for 17 years. They got two kids. Amara's 10. Justice is eight. And I can't even remember the the ages of my kids most of the time. Uh, They keep changing every year. Um, 
But James is a, he is a, a wonderful pastor and preacher, but he's a great man who's passionate about God's word and seeing that word go forth in the world. And so we're grateful to have you here. And would you guys give him a round of applause as a welcome? Thanks, brother. Amen. What's going on, Soldier and East? This is my second family, uh, uh, second uh, home. I, I really appreciate uh, being here. I'm thankful for the friendship that I've enjoyed uh, with Kevin, uh, with the pastors here. I'm so thankful. Getting a little echo here. Before I go into the Word, we can probably work that out. I'm not sure if I'm standing in front of something. Uh, but um, so thankful to, uh, to be here uh, with you all. Um, when I first arrived uh, here in uh, Louisville, um, I was like, you know what? I packed a coat, I uh, packed all these sweaters, and I'm like, it is hotter here or warmer here than it is in the Bay until I woke up this morning. I'm like, oh, I see. Okay, so I was well prepared. That hawk came early this morning. Uh, and so, but I'm thankful to be able to experience a weather, uh, different weather other than perfect. So, um, there, <laughs> good start, bad start. <laughs> All right, well, hey, let me go ahead and get ready um, and um, pray for our time together. Once again, let me just say, from Realm Church, from the Bay Area, from Oakland, California, I'm gonna say thank you all so much. Your generosity has allowed us to continue to push through the difficulty and the tough terrain of where we are, um, where we're serving. So you guys have been a constant, constant, faithful friend in this work, and I'm so in a generous friend. Thank you so much. And, um, and so let's go ahead and pray for our time. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word gives us life, Lord. It gives us streams of water when we are facing desert experiences in life, Lord. Lord, when we are lonely, Lord, your word gives us a great reminder and great companionship. Your spirit, Lord, comforts us, Lord. Lord, I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is we're thankful that we are not alone. We're thankful, Lord, that you're with us. And as we talk about our topic today, Lord, may we be reminded of that. And I pray that you will do what only you can do this morning, more than what this broken vessel standing here can do. Lord, we love you, and we pray that you act in the name of Christ. Amen. So I have my Christmas sweater on today. This is the first Christmas sweater that I've, I've worn of the, of the season. This is about as exotic that I'm going to get. I don't do the whole ugly Christmas thing, uh, sweater thing. Maybe you're thinking that, yes, you do. Uh, but uh, I'm perfectly fine with this one. I love this season. I love, call me a commercialist, call me what you want. I absolutely love the season of Christmas. I love the lights. I love the cold weather when I can get it. I love this season. I do. And I probably love it for all the same reasons that you love it. But even as a Christian, I love this season because of Advent. We know that Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means the expect, expectation of, of, of arrival. We're expecting the arrival of something. And in the first Advent, we were expecting this arrival of God entering to the world wrapped in human flesh through Emmanuel or through Jesus himself. Now we stand in the second Advent awaiting for God to re-enter the world in a very particular fashion, namely through the same person, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. I love this season. This season is particularly a season that we celebrate things like hope and, and joy and peace and absolutely rightly so. But what if I were to tell you that we should also make sure that we bring and put apart those Advent themes, the word suffer. 
A part of the, the things that we celebrate and that we not only just celebrate, but we think through and think deeply about and during Advent is this idea of suffering. What about this suffering? Because it probably won't go over too well while you're reading that Christmas Eve story to your child or a loved one to yourself. I tell you here that it is important, not only is it important, but it's this anticipation of this suffering that's going to occur, that's going to be for our good, and is just as germane to the reason for the season as joy, peace, and hope. It is very, very important, which is why today I want to talk to you exactly about the topic of suffering. And I don't have to convince you that suffering makes up such a big part of our life, do I? I don't have, I'm preaching to the choir. We know that suffering is such a big part of our life. To suffer, it means to undergo pain, distress, and hardship. So much of what we may see from a week-to-week basis, monthly, some of us even from a day-to-day basis. And it enters, we've, we've seen this, and it's entered the world since Genesis, Genesis 3 and been one of humans, uh, or humanity's closest companions since Genesis 3. The fall of humanity, and it manifests itself so often and so much. How does it manifest itself? Well, once again, I don't have to tell you, but it manifests itself through our relationships. It manifests itself through our our social media feeds. It manifests itself through the courtrooms. It manifests itself in our lives and even in the quiet places of of our minds where no one knows about, but it's all in our minds. It's in the quiet spaces where we don't dare discuss it, but God knows it and you know it. Suffering makes up such a big part, and maybe even the nose of life, the should-haves in life, the things that I should have done or that I wanted to do, suffering can be brought about as a result of that as well. As we're talking about this church plan, and we launched, uh, we, we set out for this church plan in 2018, and we started this church plan in 2019, we actually launched the church then, and no one could tell me the amount of suffering that I will have to endure during that period. Had you told me that, I would have been still right here in Louisville hanging out with y'all. And that's not a bad plan. But suffering, let me just give you just a couple examples of, of that, of what suffering, how it's constantly this constant companion, even with doing godly church work. When I first got to Oakland, California, Someone thought it was a good idea of, uh, to boycott me and to do this whole smear campaign on me and, and pl- uh, uh, plaster my face all across the internet because they said that you believe this and you believe that. Well, praise the Lord that I talked with that person, did not budge from my belief, but they saw the love of Christ as I was talking and communing with the person and walking with this person. And then they said that I have no idea why I posted all that stuff up of you. And they took it all down and repented. Praise the Lord. But that did not happen apart from suffering. Suffering. There's physical suffering. Since launching this church, and and my plan here, I'm going to get you all the way down, then I'll get you up with the gospel. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) There's physical suffering. I haven't been and hadn't seen physical suffering in my life at more in the last three years of my life than any other period of my life. And I consider myself a pretty healthy guy. But they're suffering. Betrayal. Anybody ever been betrayed? May have been betrayed in ministry? Oh yeah, it happens. I've been able to pastor and love people through difficult times, people that I've seen and walked with, people that I've married. 
When things didn't go right, they blamed the pastor. Yeah, now don't be so hard on your pastors. We got feelings too. Suffering. Loss of loved ones during COVID, close ones. Suffering. And, and what happens oftentimes when we go through Christmas and we go through this period of, of, of Advent season when it officially starts, we believe that this is the period to shield ourselves or take a hiatus from, from even thinking about suffering and even denying suffering because surely you can't suffer during this period of time because this period of time is not about suffering. We say that don't talk to me about suffering, don't call me about no drama, I don't want to hear it. No, because this is Christmas time. But may I submit to you this morning that, that Christmas, a Christmas that doesn't deal with suffering is not much of a Christmas, brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, I want to submit to you this morning that we learned from Isaiah this morning that Christmas is not this, this time that you and I need to hide from suffering. It's a time when we can stare suffering in the face, knowing that our suffering doesn't have the last and final say However, the gospel and what the Lord does through this Christmas season has the final say. The true meaning of Christmas has the final say, which is why we can face our suffering and not hide from our suffering. In other words, I like what Sam Storm says here regarding peace and regarding experiencing what we so often want to experience during the season. He says that peace is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God in the midst of of suffering. And this is what we can have even this morning. The question I want to ask you, are you suffering this morning? Do you know anyone who's suffering this morning? Because sometimes we don't suffer directly, but we're suffering with someone, which can cause great turmoil within the soul. All right, well then, this word is for you. I think there's an encouragement for you and I as we're looking at the backdrop of suffering in our own lives, as well as those that we love and care about, Christmas can speak directly to that. Advent reminds us of a Christmas promise that Christmas is about our suffering. We heard the word today. We heard the extended version and the, the context there, but we're going to go and concentrate on one text today, which is going to be verse 4 of Isaiah 53 in the readings that we saw today. What does Isaiah write there? He says, surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. So let me go ahead and set the context for us this morning. The context here is the declaration of good news to the weary people of God. That's the context of this place. This is the gospel good news to those that were weary, to those that were suffering, and those that were in much need of this good news from Isaiah as the Spirit is giving him this, uh, this inspiration. Isaiah is set against the historical backdrop of Israel, experiencing much suffering and distress because of their lifestyle and disobedience against God. When you read Isaiah, you will see that he's opening up with the wickedness of Judah, which is to say that Judah and the people of God were sinning, and then God would bring judgment against his own people as a loving father does with his child as he is disciplining them. When you read that, you see that God is actually judging, bringing judging, judgment against them, and then it moves to the judgment, the actualization of that judgment. So you see, you read about all these various people groups that's moving against Judah, and you see them crying out, and they are suffering, and they are in much distress because of this judgment, but primarily because of their own sin. 
God is bringing judgment against them. And then for there you have, from there you have this, the great suffering of the Old Testament saints. Oh yeah, they know all about suffering. And, and even looking at the historical backdrop of what's actually going on here, the context here, we learn a couple of things about suffering. We learn a couple of things about suffering that I think that, that is just a theological foundation for it all. One, we see here that in this broken world that we live in, this broken world can bring about great suffering that has nothing to do with a particular person, but this, it can bring about sudden chaos and suffering. One context is something that we just seen the other, uh, yesterday, or the day before the, the, the early mornings. Uh, heartbreaking, and, and they're still uh, getting information as to the tornado touching ground and how, and how much uh, damage it has uh, caused in the Midwest, and particularly right here in Western Kentucky. 70 people, that was the last number I've seen, it's probably gone up from there. They're suffering. Broken world, you have this natural disasters that come as a result of brokenness in the world. But two, you have our sins can cause our suffering. That's particularly what you can get from this text. Our sins can cause suffering. Some of us, we know what this means. We know what this is like. We're probably thinking through it right now that we have done something or we made a decision that's caused suffering in our life. And, and the Lord said that don't do this. And we know what the Lord word said. And we know what mom and dad said, but we did it anyway. And it's causing suffering in our life as a result of it. Or you have the third category here, and it's the sins of others that can cause suffering in our lives. The sins of others, and maybe that is you in this place today. You're thinking, and you know, and is still in the body, this person that betrayed or this person that violated and caused much suffering in our life. We don't typically like to talk about these things, but we certainly experience them nonetheless. This suffering, and this is exactly what you have here in, in Judah. You have the people of God suffering because of their own decisions, but you also have them suffering because of the sins of other people coming against them and invading their lands and causing all types of havoc in their lives. There is so much suffering going on. And as the Israelites are suffering, they feel something that we all feel when we're in, as John Bunyan calls, the castle of despair. They're experiencing this feeling forgotten. Being and feeling forgotten, that's the context here. They feel forgotten and they have, they're getting ready, at least on the verge of succumbing to their own fears that this will never stop and we're only going to experience the suffering which leads to despair. And by the way, that's really a definition of despair. Despair is having great anticipation and desire for something good, but not having that good feeling satisfied with something actually taking away the suffering that's bringing about the desire for the hope. It's called despair. And that's exactly where they find themselves at. But then you have the beautiful life-giving gospel. Then you have the beautiful life-giving gospel. Isaiah then makes a shift. And then there's going to be these glimmers of hope. And then there's going to be this gospel that's going to come. Why? Because God has not forgotten his people. That's the beauty, family, of when you read the book of Isaiah, and this has everything to do with this text we're getting ready to read and go over and continue to go through, has everything to do with Advent. God has not forgotten his people. They are not abandoned. Our text deals with suffering because of the real and raw presence of suffering in the lives of God's people. I wonder, can anyone relate this morning? 
It deals with the real stuff of life. And Isaiah, what he's going to do is that he's going to see something and he sees this thing, this, this person, and it's coming in the distant future, but he sees it. And this person will be both the sign and confirmation of their salvation. However, he seems to be a servant as he's looking. And as the spirit is giving him understanding, he seems to be a servant. This, this person he sees that's also suffering. We call him the suffering servant. He's, he's suffering. He's our comfort, but he seems to be in much discomfort himself as Isaiah is inspired and he writes. He's our deliverance, but, for, but he seems himself to be delivered over to suffering. He's our deliverance from suffering, but he seems to be delivered over to suffering. And then he says and writes these words, is this, this the weight of when he pens the words in verse four of chapter 53? He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's emphasis added. The idea there is that indeed, and after looking at this person, that he's saying, that, listen, I know that you've been suffering, I, uh, Judah. I know that you've been suffering, people of God, and I know that you've been suffering because of your own sin, but as well as the sins of other people. I see the suffering going on in your life. I know. But, but now I we see someone who's going to come and deal with this suffering. We don't know when he's going to come, but we, I see him. And this person, he says that indeed, surely, in looking at how he's suffering, he's going to take something that belonged to us and say, that, okay, time, that, that's enough time. Now I'm going to take it upon myself. And he says that surely he has borne our griefs looking at him. Right after this section, I mean, right before this text, in the previous text, he describes this person and he describes the look of this person and the, the physical features of this person. And he says that, that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He says, borne our griefs and, and carried sorrows. Isaiah writes that there, that there is one coming that will bear the griefs of his people as well as carry their sorrows. There's two ways that I want to apply this right now. The second one will be in the second, uh, the second portion of the sermon. But this first one is that, listen, you have the effect of suffering. That's how he's going to bear our suffering and carry our sorrows. It's the effect of suffering as, as well as the judgment of suffering. Well, what do I mean by the effect of suffering? Meaning that when you look at our sorrows, it, it has to do with our suffering. It's the realization that we, in fact, suffer. We have these sufferings that are very close to us, and, and we experience it in our bodies. And, and Jesus is going to come, and, and this, this, this person, this Emmanuel, he's going to come, and he's going to carry and, and lift. That's the language there, the word there. He's going to actually lift it from us. He's going to take it from us. That's the effect of this suffering. We have an example of that in Matthew chapter 18. I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. What does it say there? Listen, it says that when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah from the text that we just read, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. In a way here, you have this application. Jesus, he sees the suffering 
And people were bringing people, and sometimes we can read this as a simple narrative, people bring people to Jesus because of suffering. I have to see my mom, and I have to see my brother, or I have to see myself, and we are suffering. I see the suffering in their eyes. I see it daily. When I was in the hospital, I remember just sitting there, and the person next to me weeping, saying that, I can't do this anymore. Lord, please take this away. I went into the room next over to me. I told the doctor, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. This is before COVID. I went over to the room. I'm shedding tears as this person is weeping, and I prayed with this person, and the Lord showed up in that place as a result of him being able to provide comfort and provide a peace that surpasses understanding, which means that it doesn't always make sense why you should have peace in the moment, but God can provide it nonetheless. But the point is here is that they brought people to Jesus because of real suffering and real people and watching their loved ones in pain. And you have Jesus lifting from them this suffering as this sample of what's to happen in the kingdom to come as this Emmanuel has come to usher in what life will be like at the consummation of the kingdom. This is what we wait for. And this is a part of the advent. And Jesus is fulfilling that in the, in this, the fulfillment of the first advent. But praise the Lord that we get to look to the second advent as well. Here's the application. You have real sufferings in life. I don't buy it. I don't buy anybody saying that there's particular groups of people that only experience suffering in this life. Every person in the world experiences suffering. Everyone. It is a thing that just makes the playing the, the, the plain field even for everybody because everybody experiences suffering and we cannot escape that in this world. But there's some hope for us this morning. And the hope for us is that Jesus, he's coming and he came one and he's coming as well in order to deal with this issue of suffering where we can say, even looking back, not just simply at the cross, but looking ahead at what he accomplished on the cross and what he's going to fully consummate. And we can say that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's our sufferings. Let's, let's look again at Christmas. The second point I, I want to make here is that also Christmas is about his sufferings. Not just about our sufferings, it's about his sufferings. He, he says that he sees this person and surely he has carries, borne our, our, our sufferings, or borne our sorrows, and uh, our griefs and carried our sorrows. But then we see that yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is the estimation of anyone being able to witness what Jesus had experienced and what Jesus was like and what it was like to even witness him on the cross. This is their estimation. We esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. This coming restorer will be described as a man of sorrows by Isaiah in the same chapter. But not because of his sorrows, essentially, not because of his sorrows, essentially, Right? It didn't start with his sorrows. It actually started with our sorrows. Uh, another way to put that, because of our sorrows, he would have to suffer, but not because of his own doing. What, what, what do I mean by that? It's not because of what Jesus did that brought about his suffering because of his sin, because Jesus did not sin. What occasion then? What occasion would bring about his suffering? He came for his people. He came because of our suffering. He came because of our sin. And it says here that we esteemed him as stricken. Our sorrows became 
his sorrows and our sufferings became his sufferings. And we're, uh, we're so thankful, and I hope that you're thankful in here this morning that Jesus would take upon and take upon himself our sorrows and our sufferings. And that's the context of the text. He's looking at Israel, the people of God, and said that, okay, enough. The Lord has not forgotten you. The Lord provides a, discipl- a disciplining hand, but the Lord will do something, and he would take upon the punishment upon himself. What's Christmas about? Before we go into application here, what is Christmas about? Well, it's about it's all those other words that we talked about, but certainly it's about suffering. Christmas is God doing something about the suffering of his people that's been occurring in the world since Genesis 3 and uniquely addressed through the prophet Isaiah. It's about what God is going to do about suffering and about your suffering and whatever that suffering is in your life right now. He's going to deal specifically and uniquely with that suffering through Jesus. And listen, and, and here's something I want to say. This is the part of the way that we have to think, especially in the Bay, and I know this will be valuable to you as in the Bay, there's people that say that, listen, they, there's a lot of philosophy out there and there's, there's a lot of philosophical constructs and people that represent different views about suffering in the world. And then when I talk to people and share the gospel with people in the Bay, they're always quick to say that, listen, I follow this person, I follow that person, I follow this and that. One thing I like to talk about is that what do you do about suffering? What does your particular sage say about suffering? Because there's a lot of talk about suffering from different perspectives in the world. And I don't mean to be overly disrespectful here or disrespectful at all, but I do want to share truth here. In his book on suffering, I love what Tim Keller, a person who's going through his own bout of suffering right now as he's been uh, um, diagnosed with stage four uh, cancer. And as he's at the end of his life, uh, he talks about the fallacy of how we think about suffering and how different people have talked about suffering in the world. He says that Christianity teaches that contra or opposite to this, that contra to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming, even though fatalism says the opposite. Contra to Buddhism, suffering is real, even though Buddhists say the opposite. He says, contra to karma, suffering is often unfair. You don't always get what you, what's fair in this world. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful, not meaningless. There is a purpose to it. And it faced, and it faced rightly, Keller says, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can ever imagine. There is a different way that Christianity teaches about suffering. And one of the beautiful things, that I, why, a reasons why I love our teaching about suffering, because it actually does something about it. It doesn't just simply talk about it. Keller says also, he says that God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just simply pontificate about it. And if he had a beard, doesn't just simply just stroke the beard and say that, hmm, this is what we should think about suffering. No, he actually does something about it and he gets into the ground, into the muddy and messiness of it all and he enters this world through suffering. I can trust someone like that. I can trust someone like that. I often picture these folks in minds, trapped in, in minds, and, and, and as they're waiting, and I watched a recent movie about that, but, but they're stuck in minds, and as they're waiting, they're waiting for someone else on the other side, and they're hoping that someone remembers that they're down there, one, and that they're acting on their behalf, two. 
And you think about the person in the mind, and, and if they're by themselves, if they happen to be by themselves, it's one thing to say that, hey, I'm relying on someone else, and I'm relying on someone's memory and someone else's benevolence, Lord, please act. But it's quite another thing to be in there with someone. This is the picture that we see with Jesus in our suffering. It's quite another thing to be in there with someone. Why? Because there is a comfort that you get that, one, I am not forgotten. And, and every now and then you get to look over and that person looks over to you and they give you this comforting gaze of unbreakable companionship. Yep, I'm still here. You're not alone. I'm still here. There's a beauty that can only be experienced when someone is present with you in the suffering. And that's what you have with Christmas. God coming into the world, Emmanuel, God actually with us. Let me go ahead and get ready to apply this text. I want to apply this text to us, and then and, um, and I'll get out the way for the day. One, here's some assurances that I want us to have this morning as we walk away from this place. One, we can be real about our suffering without having to hide it. We don't have to hide the fact that we're suffering. We don't have to put on a mask about suffering. We shouldn't do it, and we don't have to do it during this season. We can be real about it and say that, listen, I'm suffering right now, but the Lord is still on the throne, and I'm waiting for his second coming. I love this, this, this text here. It says, listen, this is what happens. It's actually more harmful to us when we hide from and we hide sufferings instead of just actually being able to live into it and own it and give it to the Lord. One author writes that neglect of hurt through denial can lead us to worse consequences than the hurt itself. The very things we use to hide or numb hurt eventually kill our hearts. Our, all our fixes, food, religion, sex, alcohol, illicit drugs, hard work, intelligence, prescription, medications, in terms of the overuse of these things, illicit use of these things, all of these things, they won't mend our hearts you don't have to hide from your suffering this season. You can say that, listen, Jesus came for my suffering. Two, we can be confident that we're not forgotten by God in our suffering. We can be confident that, that Christmas is about our suffering and Jesus is going to do something about our suffering. And we're going to talk about specifically here in a second as one of our final points, the, the greatest suffering that we can experience in this world, which has to do with our own sin vertically and not simply horizontally. But we can be confident that we're not forgotten by God in our suffering. The tears of the past and present will be fully satisfied in the future of, for those who would simple, simply believe upon him the one who's able to actually redeem those tears. Revelation 21 verse four tells us this, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or trying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This text anticipates all of the reasons why we cry or why we have mourning or why there is death. Whatever the reason is that's bringing about the suffering, it anticipates it and is ready for it. The future kingdom is ready for any suffering that you've experienced, and you will experience full satisfaction in the Lord. Three, we can be confident that God is not distant from our suffering. He's not distant. We often feel this, that, that God is far from it because we're feeling it in such a vivid way. This is a live feed. This is happening right now. This is the way I feel right now. 
God is not distant from it. There was uh, an, an author, I believe he's uh, Dutch, uh, that wrote the book, The, um, uh, the Body Keeps Score, uh, one of my, my favorite works. And in this book, he discovers uh, that, uh, listen, this thing that when people had experienced these traumatic events, he noticed that they only seemed to talk to one another, but they didn't talk to other people that didn't experience like events. They discovered this right around the time of Vietnam. And then they came up with this thing called PTSD. The point there is that they felt so distant from everyone else because no one understands what I'm experiencing and what I've seen and what I'm going through right now, but they certainly talked with those people that were closest to them. This is what he realized about people that were experiencing great trauma. The beauty about what the Lord offers us today is that he is near. And you don't have to actually believe, believe in your mind that he is far from you. He's near. And when we know that he is near, we're more prone to talk to him about it, give it to him, confess it. Why? Because he actually understands it. Well, what do you mean there, Pastor? Oh, he gets it. He can stand and sit with any person in any room, and they will be willing to talk with him if they knew what he went through. Well, what do you mean by that? Hebrews lays it out for us quite perfectly. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. What does the, uh, Arthur say? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, yes, there is some, some beautiful, glorious distance there, but he's also eminent. He's close. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith he pro- that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Translation, you can tell it to Jesus. He understands. And last, and our final point, is that we can be confident that our suffering has meaning. It has meaning. There's nothing in Scripture that will give us the sense that when we suffer, that it's just for naught, that God can't do anything with it, that there won't be a single ounce, as we see in the book of Revelation, that would, that would spill in vain. We see that in verse 5, even of Isaiah 53. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The suffering that he experienced brought about the peace that we experienced between us and God. It was not in vain. But also by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Not a single ounce of suffering that you experience in this world will be in vain, and not the same is true for him. Christmas, you don't have to run from your suffering. There is great, great meaning in your suffering. And when people ask me, hey, what are you celebrating? See, I'm celebrating hope, I'm celebrating peace, I'm celebrating joy, and I'm celebrating the fact that God did something about my suffering. And you can say the same thing. And we have a very vivid, beautiful life um, example and reminder of that every time you all meet and every time I meet in Oakland, California. We're reminded of that, of the suffering that Jesus endured by the body. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and said that this is my body broken for you. And so if we would love for you to engage. If you are a believer in this place, please be sure to have your, your, your communion. And as the musicians are, are coming back up uh, now, 
Go ahead, now you have it right there to the, at the end, to your left or to your right. Do me a favor, this church is a bit bigger than mine, so do me a favor, just lift it up when you, when you have it so I can know that you, you have it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, Jesus says that this is the cup, the cup of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, you do this a remembrance as well as declaration of his second coming as we wait in the second advent for Jesus to make all things right and it will bring an official end to all suffering in the world. Let's pray. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.